I'm Joey. For those of you that are new, welcome. And for those that this may be your second time uh, with us, we say welcome. We believe everyone matters to God, so you matter. And we're so thankful. And you need to know we've been praying for you because we've been praying that God would bring people that need an encounter, that need a touch, and that, that, that he would bring people here to share in what I believe he's doing with us here at Vertical Life Church. So you are not here by accident. You're here because of prayer. It's an answer to prayer. And we're thankful for what God's going to do in your life today and in the life of our church. Today is a very special day for us. Uh, really, we're, we're a little ahead of the timeline because next week is the official day. But today we're celebrating our fifth birthday. That Come on now. Come on. Hey, th- th- this is more significant than you realize because the... statistics are out there. You can do a quick Google research. Matter of fact, probably several of you do that during the sermon anyway. So while you're on Google, um, you can do this research. 80% of businesses and ministries that start end up failing, 80%. Most of them don't make it past or even to year five. The next 80% will fail within the next five years. Statistics and trends are there. So we have made it to one of the biggest hurdles in any organization, secular or ministry. This is an act of God, and we just praise Him for it. We're so thankful. Um, today's message is, is more going to be like a timeline. It's going to be, and, and God just kind of gave this to me in our prayer time this morning with our team. It, this is kind of like a snapshot, past, present, to future. And I'm excited to see what, what God is, is doing and to reveal to you what God has placed on my heart. And uh, before we do that, just to, before we get in, there's just a couple of quick things. With a new birthday, you know, our, our team has been kind of discussing what are some things we could do to really carry us into this next season of our lives. Because we're in a new season. Uh, we've hit a milestone. We're getting ready to go into uh, the next season for our church. And so one of the things we've been doing is we've been uh, looking at and tossing around the idea of a new banner for our church, a new logo. And so we, we finally finalized it, and we want to present that to you today. So uh, this is kind of exciting because, uh, you know, when you do anything new, you either have, you have a 50-50 chance of succeeding. So uh, I, I'm, we've been testing it out. People have been liking it. So I'm excited to reveal that to you. So let's get a drum roll, please. Drum roll, lap roll, and go for it. All right, there it is. The new Vertical Life Church logo. Here's another version of it that you'll see on different things. It's essentially the same thing, but without the circle. And so just a new season, a new label, new logo to unite us together for what we're doing. And, uh, and with that, we, we're doing a few things. We, we've updated the signs that you'll see outside. Uh, so those will be updated by next week. We're also working on getting some new T-shirts and some yard signs that uh, you guys can pick up uh, for a small fee to put in your front yard. That way you can help promote our church and what God is doing here. But something we have for you today, we have car stickers. How many of you like car stickers? Right? This is the most easy way to advertise. You know, people will look at that and be like, what is that? That's a conversation starter. They'll see that and know what it is. And you can still, hey, come, come check us out. So we've got these. They're just $3. They'll be uh, for sale for you at the VIP or at the coffee bar after church. Uh, when we do our celebration, we've got some cupcakes and things for, for afterwards to celebrate our birthday. And hopefully we'll be able to get everyone rustled up for a family photo. And uh, if we can get all the kids together. But uh, we've got some new things that will be coming. And so I'm excited for that. You definitely want to take advantage of these 
uh, things here. Um, but uh, I want to pray, and then we'll get into uh, just what God has put on my heart today. Father, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Oh, just to sing of your great love, how we don't even understand it, how we don't even realize that the next breath we take is because of your love. So God, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes, let blind eyes see this morning of how great is your love, how mighty is your love, God, how amazing is your grace, and that the things that you want to do in us, God, that nothing that we've experienced or gone through is by random, by chance. You've intended to use everything in our lives for our good. And I just thank you for the story of Vertical Life Church, and I thank you for the next chapter, because we know and we believe that the best is yet to come. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So five years ago, man, Seems like forever ago, but also when I think about it, it doesn't seem like it's been that long to some degree. April 20th, 2014, our church was officially organized. That's when we had our paperwork together. We all signed a, a church covenant, and our founding church uh, members were officially organized. I was ordained as a minister of the gospel, and uh, it was just a, a really powerful moment in the life of our church but our church's story is a little unusual. I know that some of you here were here with us when we launched. A lot of you were not. And so I'm going to kind of share some of our story because we didn't launch Vertical Life Church the way you're supposed to launch a church. It didn't really go down that way. Normally when you launch a church, you, you train for ministry, you, you, you get your degrees, you go to all these classes, you partner with an organization, you raise a bunch of money, you get, create a team. It usually takes a few years before you're ready to set out and launch a church. We didn't do any of that. Matter of fact, we had no plan. This was not even on the radar. My wife and I, we uh, were worship leaders. We, we've been playing music and leading worship for many, many years. And we lived at Springfield, Missouri. Uh, and uh, the church we were in at that point uh, was going through a transition. And the pastor was called to minister here in the area. And he asked us if we would pray and consider coming to Michigan to, to lead worship for him at the new church. And it just so happened my wife was from here, her family was here, and we saw God doing all sorts of miracles to make it happen. So we surrendered, and we came up here in 2010. In about three and a half years into that church, that church experienced some incredible growth. First year, we saw 150 people give their lives to Christ. That first Christmas Sunday, we baptized 50 people in the baptismal. And that church hadn't ran more than 70 for 10 years. I mean, God was on the move. But about three and a half years into that ministry, it started developing some issues, as many organizations do. And they were detrimental to the ministry. And the pastor ended up resigning and moving back to Missouri. And my wife and I were, were praying about what's our next step. You know, we're, we knew we couldn't stay, but we didn't know really what God wanted for us to do. We even went out to Boston to candidate for a, a worship position out there and had a great time. The, the, the encounter we had with the Lord there, was really kind of planted a seed for our next step that we took. But um, as we were praying and, and God was revealing many different things, he asked us to stay and start a church. Now keep in mind, I had never trained for pastoral ministry. My, music, my, my degree was in music. That's what we were, we were planning on doing. We both had music degrees. And I had an incredible public speaking fear. 
I mean, it, I mean, being in front of public was, in, it was horrible for me. Even when I led worship, I sweat so bad that I had to bring a change of clothes with me so that after I was done leading three or four songs, I could change myself. I mean, I was drenched. Like, it looked like someone dumped water on me. It was horrible. And so I'm thinking, I don't like, really like being in front of people, so this is a problem. And, and then um, uh, I had never actually preached before. Uh, during this, this ministry, about the last year we were there, through some circumstances, God pushed me to preach. So I'd only preached two times my entire life prior to, with a public speaking fear, launching as a lead pastor of a church organization. That's not really how you're supposed to do it. It just is just not the way it's supposed to go. So this was like, we, we were just on faith. We both surrendered. We were like, you know, this is what God's doing. This could go horribly bad. It could go incredibly well. We'll just, we'll just see what God does. So we gathered some friends around that were catching a vision, and, and we started meeting at, on Sunday night because we didn't have our own building. We didn't have a place to meet. We found a little meeting place here called the Coffee Shop in Clio that was open on Sunday evenings. So we just started meeting, and we invited everyone we knew that had left the church. Hey, if you don't know where you're going, God's not led you to a new church home, consider coming and just meeting with us, and we'll see what God's going to do. And we spent a few months going through the book of Acts, looking at how the church was supposed to act, supposed to function, kind of bringing some healing and spiritual healing into our lives because of it was just an emotional thing that we had just come out of. And, uh, and so as we were, we were doing that, we had about 30 of us that were meeting in that coffee shop. And that 30 soon grew to 70, and we outgrew that space. So we needed a new location. And so we um, decided that, you know, we were going to look for places to rent, and we couldn't find anywhere. I mean, anything within our budget, which was zero. So you can't really, you know, pay rent on zero. So we, uh, we were looking around at all these buildings, and we're like, well, we started with faith. We'll just keep faith paying the bills if, if we can. And, uh, and nothing opened up. And so uh, God laid it on our hearts to pursue meeting here at the school. And so we, uh, we took that step. I met with the... Uh, uh, Patrick Jones, who's the facility manager, and he said, you know, nobody has ever been able to rent the auditorium. They've never let a church do that, but you might be able to rent the library or a classroom or something to that effect. But we'll, we'll put in the request, and if it gets approved, then it has to go through the school board, and they have to approve you coming into the church or the church coming into the school, and if that gets approved, then we'll be able to set you up. So we're like, okay, God, you must have this, you know, because we have no other choice. So we put in our request, and the school approved us to use the auditorium. It went before the, st the school board, and we got a unanimous vote to be able to meet here. And so by May, the first Sunday in May of 2014, Vertical Life Church opened its doors at Clio High School Auditorium, and here you all are. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. It's awesome just to see what God has done. And over this past five years, we've had some ups and downs. It's not, been, it's not been an easy road. As a matter of fact, the last year or so, we went through a very difficult uh, transition. We, we, rather than gaining people, we started to lose people, and, and for various reasons. And, and rather than having uh, these finances, we believe in being a generous church, and we like to help people in the community, and the finances just weren't there to do that, let alone barely you know, continue our rent. So we were struggling for a long time. And, and we have just now come out of that. God has been blessing. We've been seeing people get changed and touched. People are coming and giving. And it's just awesome to see where we were at. But we were going through a, a pretty difficult transition. 
And now as we're at this place in our lives, this, this Go For It series, I believe, is ending. This is the last message in our series. It's ending on a high note. Because what God has spoken to me this week and what he intends for our church, I don't think any of us can really wrap our minds around it. I really don't. I don't think we can fully comprehend what God is inviting us into in this next phase in our lives. And, the, and that's really the title of this message. It's called The Invitation. Somebody say The Invitation. God is inviting you into something very significant and something very special. And as I was, as I was praying this week, as I, I usually do, God, what's your word for the church? What do you want to tell us this week? He laid a verse on my heart. And it comes from the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Zechariah will be in chapters 3 and chapters 4. This first verse comes out of Zechariah chapter 4. If you have your uh, YouVersion Bible app, you can navigate to our live events page. The verses will be there uh, as well as they'll be on the screen for us today. But as I was contemplating this verse, uh, God spoke it to my heart. It comes from Zechariah chapter 4. And to, to set this passage up, I just want to give some context of what's happening in the life of Israel at this time. Israel had gotten away from God. They had started worshiping other idols, and God had warned them time and time again, if you turn away from me, you are going to be removed from the land. And it came to the point where God said enough was enough. He allowed King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to come in, conquer the land. They destroyed Jerusalem and sent all the people into exile. So this is called the exilic period. If you like reading history books and want to research Israel, this is the exilic period. They're, in, they're not in Israel anymore. They're in Babylon. And uh, there's a really famous passage of Scripture. Many of us maybe have it on a pillow or on a placard on the wall. It comes from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. If you know it, say it with me. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. Very famous passage of Scripture. Matter of fact, many people cling to this verse when they're going through a difficult time. But the thing is, is this verse in Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet at the start of the exile period. And Jeremiah tells the nation of Israel in verse 10, just before this promise, hey guys, you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. In other words, stuff's going to go bad for you for a period of time. And don't worry, you're not going to be destroyed by it as he's speaking for God, because then God says, because I know the plans I have for you. So God knew that this difficulty was going to come through. They were going to have to endure a problem for 70 years, but that was not going to be the end of them. There was going to be something that came next that would be for their good, to prosper them, to return them to the place they once were. And what happened at the end of that 70 years is Cyrus, the king of Persia, came in and conquered Babylon. And God moved on King Cyrus to release the Israelites back to their homeland. And so now they get to begin to return. And in Zechariah, Zechariah, uh, the first couple of chapters, he prophesies God is calling the Israelites home. And now they begin to return and not just be able to live in their land again, but they get to begin to rebuild their cities and even rebuild their temple, which was a huge, huge deal. And in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10 this is what God laid on my heart, the verse that he spoke to me, and the verse that, that comes off this page. This is what it says. It says, Do not despise small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. 
Do not despise the small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And I'm, I've known this verse for some time, and so I started having this, this conversation with the Spirit. I'm like, okay, great verse. I love it. What's this have to do with our birthday and our church and our story? And I started to begin to think about it. And the reality is Vertical Life Church has had a small beginning. You know, we wouldn't be characterized as a, a mega church or uh, a church known by explosive growth and, and all these big, huge, and exciting things. We don't have a thousand followers on Facebook and it seems like what it takes to be a super cool church in our area. Uh, we've had our struggles. So with all intents and purposes, we would have to consider ourselves over this five-year period a small, struggling church. Uh, even uh, in our time, the, again, like I said before, it's a lot of work to set up and tear down. Our kids' ministry team are saints that deserve honor and praise for not only setting up and tearing down, but dealing with those children every single week. You're in here to escape what's happening back there. You know it. Confess it. God already knows your heart. So you know, right? So we have people that have tirelessly given and sacrificed to make this thing work. And sometimes you get to the place where you're tired of sacrificing. And so there was a time where it seemed like the whole focus was we have to get our own building. And there was this discontentment, and, and, and we still want our own place, and God will provide it when it comes. But that was part that was adding to some of the tension in this difficult season. And so in this, 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 this tension, in this difficult transition we were going through, even myself and my wife at times, we were, we were looking at our budgets, we were looking at the, the lack of people to fill positions. We were, we were looking at all the struggle and, and we were just, we, we would sometimes be crying just like, God, is this what we're supposed to still do? Do we need to keep this going or do we need to give up and, and try something else? I mean, wh what do you want from us? Like, what, what, what did you, uh, what do you, what's your plan? What's the next step? Because we can't continue like this. It's not gonna work. There were some times that I despised our small beginnings. I confess that, you know, it was emotional. And the Spirit, as I'm looking at this and contemplating this, this is what the Spirit led me to, to this verse because he said, begin to look at the context. Look at what's happening with Israel. And as I started looking at the context of this verse, I believe he was revealing to me the nature of what God was doing and is inviting us into and where we're going and the privilege that he's setting before us. And again, it's beyond what I could comprehend. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, there's more to that verse. Here's what the rest of that verse says. It says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. How many of you know what a plumb line is? A few, a few, okay? If you don't know what a plumb line is, you use it to prepare to begin to build construction. Use it to measure things. And in, in the Israel, they were, they were using it to measure the depth of the foundation to know how they were gonna actually start construction. And so this is what God is saying. He's saying that don't despise, despise small beginnings because God rejoices to see the work begin even before it starts. As the plans are being laid out, God is rejoicing about what he's doing, about what's happening when his people are taking steps to move forward. This is significant. That God isn't just rejoicing when we get something accomplished. This means we don't have to work and do big things to honor God. God enjoys the whole journey. 
God enjoys just being along the journey with you. From small beginnings to the height of, of success, God enjoys just being a part of the process. So Zechariah is, is prophesying not just about constructing the new temple, but he's also prophesying about God's heart as the people of God leave this, this difficult period and begin even just the, the planning phase to move into the next stage in their history, to rebuild the temple of God, which was Solomon's temple, one of the seventh wonders of the ancient world. It was unlike anything anyone had ever seen. Uh, nations would come just to see the temple, visit Solomon, and this great wonder had been destroyed. And now they're looking and planning on rebuilding this monument of history. And as I was praying and meditating on this scripture and, and, and looking all, at all the different passages, again, I was like, God, this is great. I can kind of see some correlations. But what do you want to say in this verse? What is it that you want to say to each and every one of us? And so the Spirit of God spoke to me, and he said, look up Zerubbabel's name. And I thought, you know what? That's probably a good idea, because that's not a very common name. You don't hear about too many little Zerubbabels running around. You know, it, you, know you, don't, you don't hear that. Uh, buddy here, Jake, just had a new baby, and he picked an Old Testament name, but it wasn't Zerubbabel. You know, you're not going to find Zerubbabel on any of the top, you know, uh, 10 baby names for 2019. I mean, as a culture goes, you might for next year, but, but it's not, so far, is not in this time and place. And so it's not a very common name. And so I looked up the meaning of this, uh, this name Zerubbabel, and it was interesting what I found, because the name Zerubbabel literally means seed of Babylon. Remember, they're, in, in the, they're coming out of exile from Babylon. It means seed of Babylon. In other words, it means born in Babel because Babylon was a city in a land uh, called Babel. And Babylon is also called Babel. And there's a famous story in the book of the Old, in Genesis, the Old Testament, about the city of Babel. Matter of fact, there's a story about the Tower of Babel. It's most common. The Tower of Babel is the story in Genesis God had come down to see what was going on in the city, and he saw that man was united in corruption, pride, and arrogance. They were rejoicing in their own greatness, and they decided they were going to build a tower into heaven. And, and many, uh, it doesn't say in the biblical text, but many external manuscripts and other historical writings of the time period state that they were trying to build a tower into heaven to overthrow God and set themselves up as God. So this was the nature of what they were trying to do. And so God sees how they're united in evil, and he had just flooded the earth to restart, give man a second chance. And so he says something very particular in this passage. He says, now that they've done this, nothing will be withheld from them. So something so moved God in his heart about what man was doing as they were united in wickedness. And he does something that seems pretty interesting. He separates all the people into different languages and tribes. You want to know where the languages come from? It comes from this story. Man was united because of their singular language and their singular purpose. He separates them into different tribes and nations and languages. They no longer could cooperate. The, the work in the city was put to rest, and they all went their separate ways. And the word Babel literally means confusion because God confused the people. They were no longer united, but they became confused because they couldn't understand each other. So this guy, Zerubbabel, his name means born in Babel or born in Babylon, literally means born in confusion. That's what his name means. 
And it began to really like turn light bulbs on in my, my brain as I started contemplating how this was relating to us. Because if we look at what happened in Israel, they were sent to a foreign land in an unfamiliar territory, in an unfamiliar custom, unfamiliar languages, and they were having to live in this place of confusion. They were living in this place of confusion. They didn't know what to go, where to turn. They felt like God had hopelessly abandoned them. They were depressed. And this is why I believe God, through Jeremiah, prophesied his promise in Jeremiah 29, 11, because he knew that there would come a point where they would feel so hopelessly lost that they would want to give up on their faith altogether. He promised that, I know the plans that I have for you, because there would be this time of confusion that would take over their people. And we even experienced this in the New Testament age, even after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take courage because I have overcome the world. Jesus never promises a perfect life, a pain-free life, a sorrow-free life. There will be seasons in life that will be hell. They will be. There'll be like a time of confusion where you don't know where to go, what to turn to, what to believe. You're gonna be upside down. Your up's gonna be down. Your down's gonna be up and vice versa. There's gonna be time of confusion. Jesus says, take courage. You can have peace in there because I've overcome the world, which means there are plans that are in place that are for your good and not your disaster to give you a future and a hope that come not just through, but on the other side of this time of confusion. Paul in Romans 8.28 reveals a promise of God that God causes everything to work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes for them. God doesn't just wait, you know, God doesn't waste a hurt. God doesn't allow the things in our lives to destroy us. If we hold to our faith and we continue to follow the path he set before us, he will make the bad and the good work together to bring something beautiful in our lives. God doesn't let seasons of confusion destroy us, but he uses it to refine and to strengthen us. It's for our refining. And God chose this guy, Zerubbabel, so that by his very name, that he would be a sign to the nation of Israel that yes, you feel lost. Yes, you feel hopeless. Yes, you feel confused, living in a land of confusion. But something is about to be born in that confusion that is going to change everything. God's presence was going to return to the people. They were going to rebuild the temple. And we, as people, especially if you've been in church your whole life, you're not exempt from problems. And we have such a hard time believing and thinking that anything good can happen out of any of the bad circumstances and situations we face. We believe that nothing good can come from something bad. But really, we have to step back and remember that the impossible is God's specialty. The impossible is God's specialty. Jesus said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. The impossible is easy for the Lord because he's an impossible God. He makes good come from every situation. And the truth the Spirit spoke to me as I'm relating this, this passage is this, and I believe this is a word for some of you here today. It's that the very confusion you may be experiencing now might be the very womb God is using to birth your breakthrough. 
The very confusion, the very season of confusion you're living in your life now is the womb God is using to give birth to your breakthrough. He used the state of confusion for Israel to give rise to the restoration of Israel. God is using this season to refine you and strengthen you so that you're prepared for his blessings on the other side, to lead you into his promises. Do not despise small beginnings because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. God gets excited when his plans begin to move into motion. The Lord says to Zechariah, the prophet in Zechariah chapter four, verse nine, that Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. In other words, when you see the fulfillment of God's promises in your life, as you're going through this, this state of confusion, as you're going through this difficult season, when you see fulfilled promises, you will know that he is the Lord. It'll be undeniable that your impossible situation was worked out because God's hand was upon you. you will, it'll be undeniable who is the one that saw you through that helped you be okay on the other side of not being okay. It's an invitation into knowing the Lord, intimate, intimacy in relationship. And what this revelation does is it gives us a cause to celebrate the goodness and faithfulness of our God. It redirects our eyes from our problems, our woes, and our worries to the true need of our hearts, which is a life that's fully devoted to Him, a life that's pursuing after presence, as he restores our relationship, he also restores the right order of our worship that we are not the focus, he is. Jesus is the focus. You see, the temple of Israel is not just where God's presence could be found in the Old Testament. It was the center of their entire lives. It was the center of their faith. That's where they went to sacrifice, where they had cases adjudicated. It's the center of their entire society. And I believe that our season of confusion we like to use that word, here at Vertical Life Church, where we were struggling, that now we've come to this place like Israel where we're ready to break through to our breakthrough because we've realized that our greatest need is not a new building, it's not more money, it's not more people, it's his presence. That's our greatest need. It's his presence in our gathering. And the reality is, is that it doesn't matter what we need. What matters is that he is with us. That's what matters. And the return of the temple to Israel meant significant things for this nation. And even today, in the land of Israel, Israel is waiting again to get permission to rebuild their temple. It's so significant for their people and for their history. And what is amazing about God is that when he restores, he always restores bigger and better. When Israel got to rebuild the temple here in Zechariah, it was bigger than the one that was before. Every time God restores, he restores to bigger and better. Haggai chapter 2 verse 9 was another prophet during this time period. He prophesied this, that the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, has spoken. When God restores and he rebuilds, he rebuilds bigger, he rebuilds better, and he fills you with his peace. Why? Because he is with you. His presence is in your lives. The future glory exceeds 
the former glory. And God's plan for us is not just to restore us to the 100, 120 people we had at the start, but that our future glory would far exceed our previous glory. And again, as I'm researching this passage, Zechariah 4.10, the Spirit led me to what I believe is God's plan for our church. We've come out of this time of confusion. We're in this time now where we're not just uh, surveying the land, but we're setting the foundation and beginning the work. Now we're pushing into our future, and God revealed what that future was for us in this passage of Scripture in Zechariah chapter 3. And in Zechariah chapter 3, just before uh, he prophesies this, Zechariah sees a vision before the throne of God. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Jeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that's been snatched from the fire. Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, see, I've taken away your sins and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said they should also place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Jeshua and said, This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards, and I will let you walk among these others standing there. Listen to me, O Jeshua, the high priest, and all you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I am going to gather or bring my servant the branch. Now look at the jewel I've set before Jeshua, the single stone with seven facets, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. There's so much in this passage of scripture. I could talk all day about this, but you're lucky I'm nice. I'm gonna let you go early. But the first thing I noticed here is that even among God's work, Satan, the accuser, is present. Satan is present. We will never have an existence, you personally in your life, in the life of our church, we will never have an existence without demonic opposition until Jesus returns, locks him up once and for all. Every move of God is not without battle. Satan especially likes to come against people that God has anointed for powerful ministry. He's standing before the throne of God. Satan is accusing him before the throne of God, attacking his character, attacking uh, his purity, his righteousness. And this is why he's coming against Jeshua, because Jesus was elevating him. God was elevating him to a special anointing. And what I love about this passage is that Jeshua doesn't even have to rebuke the devil. God says, shut up. I rebuke you. God goes to fight for his children. When Satan brings a word of accusation against you, bringing up your past, bringing up your insecurities, bringing up your failures, God in heaven, Jesus before the throne is saying, Satan, shut your mouth. They're mine. They belong to me. I've chosen them. I've anointed them. I'm raising them up. 
Every move of God is not without battle. Every follower of God that begins to take a hold of this charge to step out in faith and pursue presence is going to have opposition, which is why he was coming against this high priest. But though uh, this is happening, what I love here in the scripture is that there's so many symbols that are, that are coming to life. Jeshua was a common name, and in the name of the actual high priest during this time of Zechariah, and what's interesting is what the angel of the Lord, who we also understand is the pre-incarnate Christ, this is Jesus Christ before being born to Mary. When you read the Old Testament, it talks about the angel of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. He is Jesus. This is him showing up in history past. This is how we know he's one of the Godhead and, and, and God himself. That he is standing here working through this whole situation. In verse 8 of chapter 3, Jesus says to Jeshua, look at what he says. He says, listen to me, O Jeshua the high priest and all you other priests. You are what? Symbols of things to come. So though these men actually existed, that this story really happened, this is a time in, nation, in the nation of Israel's history, Jesus is saying that you don't just exist for this time, you represent something in the future. You represent something, a reality that's going to happen in the future. And then he mentions his servant, the branch. And the branch, we know, is referred to the Messiah in, in, in theological language. Who is the Messiah? It's Jesus. Right, So he's talking about right here in this moment that they represent something to come and that he's prophesying even of himself to come and that the, the revealing of this branch, he says later in that chapter, will mean the removal of the sin in a single day. What did Jesus do at Calvary when he died on the cross? He removed sin in a single day. The similarities, the, the symbols are ripe in this passage. And here's what's so cool is Yeshua is actually pronounced Yeshua. And Yeshua is the actual Hebrew name of Jesus in the New Testament. It's changed so that it's, it's elevated beyond Joshua. It's also the same name as Joshua. So here, Yeshua the high priest is adorned and anointed and for the priestly ministry for the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus is the high priest for the church. And the coming branch meant the removal of sins of Israel in a single day. We know that Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead meant the removal of the sins in our lives. Why should we not despise small beginnings? He's laying the foundation here in this, in this passage. Think about what Jesus accomplished, right? Today is Palm Sunday. This is in the calendar of Christian, Christianity. This is one week before the resurrection of Jesus. It's a day that's celebrated all over the world. Jesus came into confusion. The king of kings was born in a manger, in a stable. He was born into poverty. He was born as nothing. When he rose into his time of ministry, he was rejected by his own family. They thought he was crazy. He started with 12 guys who, who left him and departed him when he was arrested and put on trial. And when he was hanging on the cross... He himself even said, Father, forgive them for what? They don't know what they're doing. Jesus was born into confusion. He ministered into confusion. He died and resurrected through confusion. 
The, the, the church at that time was in fear for their lives. They didn't know their, their master, their teacher had just died. They're hiding. Jesus rises from the dead and he begins to minister to them. He says, go and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. They're waiting. The Holy Spirit descends. This mighty rushing wind sends the whole city into confusion. And then through speaking in tongues and other wonders, Peter stands up, declares the gospel. 3,000 people are saved in a single day. The church itself was born out of confusion. Don't despise small beginnings because what God births in confusion will radically transform your life and the people's lives around you, this city, this nation. Don't despise small beginnings. This dirty clothes that Yeshua the priest was wearing gets replaced with pure and spotless garments. So too, the church of Jesus Christ, when they trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, he takes away our sin. This is what happens to every believer. He was given a turban of authority. We're given a turban of authority. Why? Because we bear the name of Christ and we stand in his place in the earth. The symbolism of what he's doing in the church is all through this scripture. And as I'm looking at this and studying this and looking through how what he's prophesying here in the Old Testament reflects our, our new reality here as the church of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God begins to break down these parallels, but then God zeroes in on one particular passage and he makes it personal. Because we know that we're forgiven, we know that we're priests of God, we know we have an anointing. He makes something very personal. In chapter three, verse six, he personalizes this promise to, to me. And here's what it says. It says, the angel of the Lord, we know this is Jesus, spoke very solemnly to Jeshua and said, read this with me, if you can see it. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I will let you walk among these others standing here. This radically, like, messed me up, y'all. I'm just telling you. I'm gonna read it in the ESV. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, keep my charge, you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. The Spirit of God highlighted this verse and he began to unpack the truth of what he was saying. And what I believe he was telling me is that if we as a church walk in his ways, we don't let fear hold us back. We keep going for it. What's the it? His presence in our gatherings, in our lives. If we walk in love and keep pursuing to release his power, make Jesus famous in our community, using our gifts to encourage and strengthen one another, we endeavor to keep changing the atmospheres wherever we go because we know we are a priest of God who carry the presence of God. He is going to give us authority. He's gonna give us authority. And we talk about uh, authority of the believer, but there's something significant here and I don't want you to miss it. What does authority here mean? Well, here's what uh, it says uh, as we break down the definition. It means to be in charge of and care of, to be the keeper of something. In other words, he is going to give us a position and a responsibility. And I love the, the, the statement there. The authority means to be the keeper of something. And what is it we're going to be the keeper of? What's it say there in verse 7? It says you'll be the keeper of his house and in his courts. The keeper of his house and in his courts. Think about this. What is his house? That means his habitation, his dwelling. 
This is his dwelling place. What are his courts? That's the enclosed area. He says, I will give you special access to this enclosed area, the secret place. In the temple, there was an enclosed area separated by a curtain that kept everyone out except for one man, the high priest, who was able to go in there one time a year to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. It was called the most holy place. This is where the Ark of the Covenant rested, where God's fiery presence literally descended in the temple and engulfed the sacrifice where his presence would reside. And here he's telling Joshua, and the Holy Spirit turns and tells me as I'm studying this passage, if you Vertical Life Church, keep my ways, keep my charge. If you serve me faithfully, you will have charge of my house and you will have special access to my courts, to the most intimate place of meeting with the Lord. I mean, do you get what I'm saying? This is so significant. This is so significant. And I'm just like at awe of what he's offering us, to, to think that God himself would be choosing us to be the church, to be the body that hosts his presence. In Zechariah 3, 7, at the end of the passage, he says, I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Who are those that were standing there? Well, they were other priests. They were other servants of the Lord. God is giving this promise to Jeshua and he's saying, if you do this, you will have special access over the other priests, the other servants of the Lord. This word standing here literally means to stand still. And what God spoke to me is that if you're not moving with the spirit, you are standing still and getting left behind. There are those that that are standing still. There are other priests of God, other people who faithfully attend church all over the world, and, and they are not moving with the Spirit. They are standing still. And he's telling us that to be in charge of his presence, to have right of access, special access to his presence, to this most intimate place, means we will have access to a connection with God, to a place where we can encounter the Lord, place so powerful that we will have radical encounters with Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. Radical in so even above others who are in our own city. Why? Because we're flowing, we're pursuing, and they are standing still. They will talk about God, and we will encounter God. They will long for his presence. We will bathe in his presence. What an awesome opportunity. But also, likewise, what an awesome responsibility and a need to steward this gift well. We don't just want to meet together as a church. We want to meet with God. And there are many believers in this city, several good churches. We pray for our churches and our partner churches that God would so move in their cities. But many are standing still because they're either too busy trying to keep up with culture to stay relevant or they're too focused on religion and it's holding them down and their focus is not presence. It's not the presence of the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And here at Vertical Life Church, we delight in the Lord. We pursue presence. The desire of my heart and what I pray is the desire of the hearts of everyone here at our church is that we would pursue the presence, that we would 
gain and enter the presence, that we would be so filled with the presence of God that he would shake this place up and we would be a powerful witness in this community, that we would not be content with what little experience we have, but we would continue to press until we have as much of God as we can stand, and that the Spirit comes to empower, empower us here to work, to heal, to bring breakthrough, but then stays with us as we enter our community to impact, to help us impact the world with the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you think about the significance of the temple in Israel, I believe so too will be the significance of this church in this community. God is raising us up to have uh, a, a charge over a region. And many are going to come here to look for miracles. Many are going to come here to look for encounters with the Lord, to look for divine wisdom from the hopelessly lost to the business leaders and bureaucrats and politicians. There is a significant thing that God is birthing in our church. Again, let me say, do not despise small beginnings because the Lord rejoices even to see the plumb line in his servant's hand. Why is he doing this? Do we deserve it? No. Is there anything special about us? No. Is there a reason to be arrogant or to say, yeah, well, we got the presence and you don't? No. Why is he doing it? It's simply because he is good. He loves us. And we're not standing still. We're pursuing the heart of God. You know, I sometimes dream of what it'd be like to look into that holy of holy place, to look into that most holy place, to see God's glory descend as it rested on the Ark of the Covenant. And I believe God is telling us that his desire is that his presence would fall in here the same as it did there. That we would be so attuned and so desiring and so hungry that he wouldn't have any qualms about showing up in this place. And I ask everyone at this time, let's just go into a time of response. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads as we seek the Lord. And as we realize what God is doing. Father, we ask you for more, more of your presence, more of your Holy Spirit, more of you in our lives. God, that we wouldn't be content with just how little we've experienced, God, that we would get hungry, we would get thirsty. We realize that this is a desert land where there is no water and only you truly satisfy. God, we see that out of confusion, you're birthing something significant. And I just pray, God, that this would always be a place where the, the presence of God is felt. I've heard so many testimonies that people have visited churches all over the city, all over the community, but this is the place where they sense the presence of God. And I say, God, more, 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 Jesus. We call out to you for presence. We call out to you for miracles. We call out to you for power. We call out to you, God to so fill us that the community would not be able to help but see that God is truly in this place. God, you're moving, you're flowing. And the question you're asking us, the invitation you're asking us is do we still want to go for it? Will we keep going for it? Will we keep your charge? Will we serve faithfully? Will we keep seeking you? And Father, I just answer in my heart, yes. 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 
Lord, I pray for the one here that's a prodigal. They came in today, Lord, and they've been far from you. They know that you love them. They've heard that message preached. They know that Jesus came and died on the cross, but God, there's been situations in their life that have caused them to grow distant. Lord, I pray for them right now that you would release them of all uh, just fear and all shame right now in Jesus' name. God, and I just ask that you would so touch them, begin moving in their heart right now. God, that in just a moment when we stand for prayer, they'd come forward and they would invite you into their life again, that they would put you on the throne of their heart and claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray for the person here that has a health issue. God, they're seeing doctors about it, but they've not been able to give them any answers. God, I pray right now they come forward and be touched for healing. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those who struggle with anxiety and depression. God, things that you have not willed for us. I just proclaim healing in the name of Jesus. And by his shed blood, by his stripes, that healing is our inheritance. God, I pray even now your healing power would be released. Lord, as we go into a time of prayer, I pray, Father, that you would enter this place. And there would not be any room for doubt, for fear, for the enemy to work. We open this to you now in Jesus' name.